Hey music lovers, welcome to G-Force Records. Just so you know what's rockin' here, Rockin' Roller Coaster is a loud, thrilling, high-speed roller coaster type ride that includes sharp turns, upside-down maneuvers, and sudden drops and stops. For your safety, you should be in good health and free from high blood pressure, heart, back or neck problems, motion sickness or other conditions that could be aggravated by this adventure. Expectant mothers shouldn't ride, and all passengers must meet the minimum height requirement. If you're traveling with kids, be sure to keep an eye on them. And remember that you'll need to stow all bags and loose items. If you're traveling with any large packages that won't fit at your feet, you should leave them with someone who's not riding. Oh yeah, and any passengers in wheelchairs must transfer to a limo train to join in this adventure. Well, I think that about covers it. That's the business, and the fun's just ahead. Rock on! Hello and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Kroll, and you're listening to episode 146 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's podcast episode, we're going to be discussing one of the most popular thrill rides at Walt Disney World, which is Rock and Roller Coaster, starring Aerosmith, over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. I know what you're thinking if you've been listening to the show for a while. We talked about Rock and Roller Coaster back in, oh, I think it was episode three of Imagineer Podcast, but much like I did with Avatar Flight of Passage a few months ago, I found that there was a new format to my attraction episodes, and Rock and Roller Coaster was one that I wanted to revisit because there was so much more to discuss than what I revealed in episode three. So I thought this would be a fun topic to revisit, and it's one that I certainly hope you will enjoy. We'll talk about the history, fun facts, details, some things you might not know about this historic attraction at Walt Disney World. And of course, I'll take you with me for a ride on Rock and Roller Coaster, thanks to the magic of binaural audio. At the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer Podcast. When it comes to storytelling, music has a profound effect on our experience. Think about how different attractions like It's a Small World, Avatar Flight of Passage, Star Wars Rise of the Resistance, and Soarin' would be without their beautifully arranged musical scores. Music has the same effect on storytelling in movies and shows, too. Imagine what Star Wars would be like if George Lucas had never hired John Williams, or what Mary Poppins would be like if not for the Sherman Brothers. That's because music is one of the most effective ways to both express and elicit emotion. Romantic films are made more dramatic with their melancholy soundtracks, 
action-packed thrillers become heart-pounding thanks to their high-powered scores, and horror movies become even scarier as a result of carefully crafted music that balances minor chords, solemn sequences, and unnerving harmonies. In fact, music has a physiological effect on the brain that activates emotion, memory, and so much more. Since the early days of Walt Disney Animation Studios, Walt Disney was always fascinated by the power of music and sound in animation. The challenge in those early days was finding a way to synchronize these two mediums, an obstacle that Walt's team overcame with Steamboat Willie, which was the tipping point that catapulted Walt Disney's early fame and success. When Disneyland opened in 1955, it seemed likely that Walt would want the same synchronized musical experience delivered through his attractions, but technology was unfortunately unable to accommodate this request. Instead, attractions merely featured background music, which was often separated into different rooms to create a unique mood for each scene, or in the case of It's a Small World, to convey various cultural sounds for each featured country. Years later, around the same time that Epcot opened at Walt Disney World, a young Imagineer named Tom K. Morris was dreaming of synchronized sound on attractions. In Imagineer Podcast episode 101, I had the privilege of interviewing Tom and asked him how the idea for onboard ride soundtracks came to life. Here's what he told me. It started, the idea, the germ of the idea started when I was driving back and forth from my home to Disneyland. Um, when I got a car, I was 16 years old, I got a tape deck, um, and I would, you know, play different music. Um, and I was, you know, into the bands at the time, too. So um, I noticed that certain parts of the journey from my home, which was in Newport Beach to Disneyland, I was about a 20 minute drive. And sometimes what you were listening to or what I was listening to on the tape would correspond with some moment um, that would reveal something, probably something very, you know, ordinary. Although there was one stretch on Jamboree Road where you would reach the top and then you'd see the harbor and the ocean. So I, I began timing the music to see <laughs> Uh, if I could, and I'd be using like the band sticks or <laughs> yellow or, uh, you know, I can't remember them all now. I still have all the tapes. And so then when I started, um, when I moved to Florida for Epcot, I was there for a year and I started doing the same thing there and I would do it with some of my friends and they, and I go, okay, wait, you know, and whether we were on property or whether we were, um, going out to Cocoa Beach or something. And uh, it was something that was always in my head. And so then when I got back to California, I started putting tapes together for Space Mountain. So I created a, um, well, you had to create multiple timing charts for it because there were um, there was a, a variable of about 20 seconds or maybe more um, of trip time depending on the weight of the vehicle, the time right. of day, the uh, humidity, all of these things, the heat of the wheels, you know? So all of these things either make a really fast rocket or a really slow rocket. So um, I came up with these tapes that used both um, popular music of the time and also John Williams scores and the black hole. 
also. And, awesome. Uh, and I timed them out and I knew like a morning, um, an empty morning rocket is going to be slow. A full evening rocket is going to be fast. So I had a fast tape and a slow tape. <laughs> um, and I, and I had a mixing board so that I could, uh, uh, crossfade the music and uh, I came up with about I don't know how many I demoed I probably came up with about 10 but I demoed maybe four of them three or four of them and at by this time I was doing my duty my time at Disneyland in the WDI office at Disneyland SQS show quality standards and I was um, working for Kim Irvine at the time just doing kind of the daily, you know, um, uh, design challenges um, that would come up every week at the park. And so um, sometimes before work, I would go into Space Mountain when they had just started cycling the vehicles or after work, I'd go over there. And the ride operators were accommodating. So they knew <laughs> that I was working on this experiment and they'd let me uh, ride around empty rockets before the guests were there. Um, and um, so I demoed them to several um, important people and they all liked it. There was one that didn't like it, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you never know. It's one of these things where you just would never predict. Uh, it's like people who get scared of things. Yeah, yeah. You know, really, you know, <laughs> the rock is scared of spiders. It's that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so, I was kind of surprised that he thought it was uh, over. It over it overloaded him. He said he was over. He was over um, stimulated, but everyone else really liked um, the idea. And then it just kind of sat there for a while because of the challenge was the technology wasn't there to do the elastic kind of um, timing that you needed to make it. You know, you, you want the symbols to go off when, you know, you reach the bottom of the drop, um, or you want the sense of anticipation as you're going up the lift. And then as it reveals something, there's a crescendo. So this is all just going back to, you know, Steamboat Willie, right? Right. <laughs> you want the right, you know, uh, sound to hit at the right, uh, moment. And, um, so the technology wasn't quite there yet. Plus, I don't know if the desire was quite, you know, Everyone thought it was the neat idea, but it sounds expensive and technically um, challenging. So it kind of just floated there for a while. And then I think when we did, let's see. So when we did Disneyland Paris, uh, we had an added capacity program right after we opened that. And um, so Space Mountain was coming. And so was, um, and, and, but we thought we would test the idea out first on Casey Jr. Circus Train because it was a very predictable, um, it was a power coaster that meant that it's electrically, um, you know, driven versus gravity driven. So there wasn't variable uh, in the timing of it. So, right. and I, I think at the same time, Ed Sato um, had um, Disneyland for a while. He was the art director, one of the art directors down at Disneyland. And so he wanted to do this too. So I think it all kind of like, okay, Disneyland wants to do it. Disneyland Paris wants to do it. We can test it out on um, Casey Jr. out there. And so Eddie got Dick Dale and I found a guy, uh, 
Steve Bramson, I think, did it, did the uh, score for Space Mountain uh, for Tim Delaney. And um, that's where it was born. But I had an cool idea. idea. To do, always had this idea of doing a rock and roller coaster. Going back to my rock and roll days, if you would call it that. Um, and so, you know, I was also pitching that. And there w- was very little interest in it until, <laughs> um, well, you know, until the, I think Universal announced that they were going to do some kind of big similar thing. I think I can't remember what, or maybe it was just to go up against Islands of Adventure. Um, but they needed something fast and big and e-ticket, but not too expensive. And so I pitched it, and they took it, and I didn't follow it through. That. Um, became one of Kathy Mangum and uh, Paul Osterhout's baby once uh, once I pitched it. I pitched it over to them. Uh, <laughs> I, I was still involved. I uh, went out and we met Aerosmith and all of oh, that. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, but um, so, but finally, the rock and roller coaster was accepted as a legitimate idea. Like three years earlier, it's like Disney is not rock and roll. You know, it's not part of our brand uh you know, attributes. <laughs> right. Although Tom didn't directly work on the attraction featured in this episode, his determination to bring synchronized sound to Disney attractions is what inevitably led to the creation of one of the most popular attractions at Walt Disney World, Rock and Roller Coaster starring Aerosmith, a project led by Imagineers Kathy Mangum and Paul Osterhout. Opening at Disney MGM Studios on July 29, 1999, Rock and Roller Coaster became the first Disney attraction in the United States to feature, as the attraction describes them, upside-down maneuvers, and the first Disney attraction in the United States to feature a synchronized onboard ride soundtrack on its opening day, or should I say five ride soundtracks, which we'll discuss in a little bit. While fans often think of Disney's Hollywood studios as focusing on movies and shows, it actually celebrates various forms of show business. Although the park did feature an attraction or two focused on sound in its early days, such as the Monster Sound Show, there really wasn't a ride or show completely devoted to the music industry. In the mid-1990s, the Imagineers were busy developing the park with a focus on adding more rides to the experience. The Twilight Zone Tower of Terror was the first to open as part of the addition of Sunset Boulevard. Rock and Roller Coaster was another idea that was pitched, and the Imagineers got the green light to build the attraction just a few few years later. In terms of the story of the attraction, Rock and Roller Coaster starring Aerosmith takes place at a fictional record label called G-Force Records, which of course is a not-so-subtle reference to the thrilling gravitational forces you'll feel on this thrill ride. Although Sunset Boulevard pays tribute to Hollywood during World War II, Rock and Roller Coaster is designed around a modern record label sometime in the late 1990s to early 2000s. The Imagineers built this time period into Sunset Boulevard in a clever way, building the attraction in a courtyard that sits beyond the land's other attractions and shops. They also wove the story into Tower of Terror. In particular, they noted that G-Force Records was located along Sunset Boulevard next to the Hollywood Tower Hotel and was founded sometime in the 1930s. Once the famous disaster hit the Hollywood Tower Hotel, forcing the hotel to close its doors, G-Force Records fell on hard times. 
decades later, the record label was able to revitalize its brand by landing a few major artists, including Aerosmith. The label also opened its doors to the public so visitors could enjoy tours of the company's headquarters. Ironically, this revitalization is what actually led to the Hollywood Tower Hotel finding new life as well. Soon after the record label debuted its public tours, visitors suddenly began to notice that the abandoned hotel next door had once again opened its gates, inviting new guests to visit this historic landmark for an extended stay. As visitors navigate their way through the courtyard outside G-Force Records, they'll notice a giant red Fender Stratocaster guitar marking the entrance with its neck extended all the way to the courtyard entrance flipped face down with a limo car hanging upside down at the end. As the attraction is completely enclosed inside a backstage show building out of view, this creative structure lets visitors know two things. The attraction is focused on rock and roll, and it's a thrilling roller coaster that flips upside down. Of course, warning signage and safety spiels in the queue provide the same description, making sure guests know exactly what to expect ahead. In fact, when Rock and Roller Coaster opened, it was without a doubt the most intense attraction you could find at the Disney parks, or at the very least tied for the most intense experience alongside Space Mountain at Disneyland Paris. Guests entering the building are invited to take a tour of G-Force Records, an effort the label has made to publicize its revitalization. Throughout the queue, guests can hear an hour-long compilation of Aerosmith hits, including Hole in My Soul, Same Old Song and Dance, Baby Please Don't Go, Jaded, Dream On, Just Push Play, Ragdoll, Draw the Line, What It Takes, Pink, Deuces Are Wild, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, One Way Street, Living on the Edge, and The Other Side. While a few major hits are missing from the cue music, this decision was intentional to leave some heart-pounding melodies for the experience ahead. Since the attraction was built before Disney unveiled its FastPass system, the original design for the ride called exclusively for a standby queue. Years later, in 2007, a refurbishment of Rock and Roller Coaster called for a redesign of the experience, which we'll discuss in a bit, and rerouted the standby queue to make room for FastPass and single rider lines, which would extend around the perimeter of the outdoor portion of the queue to cut through a new entrance on the side of the building. This new entrance replicated and replaced what was once an extended area of record label exhibits with a second entrance rotunda. Guests in Fast Pass and Standby now walk through a very similar experience to what guests in Standby will see, although Standby guests will also get to see a few additional exhibits along the way. As part of the regular tour, GeForce Records invites visitors to take a look inside one of the recording studios. As it turns out, the day you happen to be visiting the studio, Aerosmith is recording in Studio C. Entering the studio, guests see lead vocalist Steven Tyler, guitarist Brad Whitford, and drummer Joey Kramer reviewing an instrumental recording of Walk This Way with the studio's sound engineer, who is played by television actor Ken Marino. In terms of operations, this gives a full group of guests just enough time to enter the pre-show room and for the doors to close. The pre-show room uses a clever rear projection effect to create a convincing illusion that Aerosmith is actually standing on the other side of the room, separated by a layer of glass, then the recording area, and then the sound booth behind another layer of glass. If you look carefully in the recording area in front of you, you'll notice a hidden Mickey on the floor made from a long electric guitar cord. 
Once the doors close, lead guitarist Joe Perry and the bass guitarist Tom Hamilton enter the studio, and Joe Perry notices the guests on the other side of the room, prompting the entire band to say hello. Moments later, the band's manager, played by Eliana Douglas, frantically enters the studio through the doors at the back of the booth and reminds the band that they're late to a show. As the band gathers their things, the manager apologizes for the abrupt departure, and Joe Perry asks one of the studio employees, Chris, to grab his black Les Paul. In the early days of the attraction, a real cast member would walk into the studio, grab Joe's guitar, and bring it through the back. The Imagineers decided to name that cast member Chris, knowing that it was a gender-neutral name that could apply to just about anyone walking into the room. This role was eventually removed from the attraction, but it was a fun part of the experience at the time. As the band is getting ready to head out, Steven Tyler realizes he's leaving his fans behind and calls it out to their manager. At this point in the show, the cast member working at the back of the pre-show room would shout, how about some backstage passes? To which Steven Tyler would reply, wait a minute, I love that idea, how about some backstage passes? Reluctantly, the manager agrees and sends the band into the limo seen through the open doors behind the studio. She makes a call and orders a stretch limo, in fact, make it a super stretch, and assures us that although the show is all the way across town, she got us a really fast car. As she sends us into the alleyway behind the studio, the limo carrying Aerosmith hits on the gas and sends the band flying through the streets of LA, leaving the manager behind. As she calls a car for herself, she turns to the sound engineer and woodily adds, I know, this is LA, right? As the manager turns to walk down the alleyway, the sound engineer gets up from his seat, closes the door behind him, and gets back to work as we head through the open doors into the alleyway with the Aerosmith hit, Walk This Way, playing through the speakers in the studio. Entering the alleyway, where it's always night outside, we pass right next to the launching point for the limo trains, separated by just a few feet and a chain-link fence. This not only builds anticipation for the experience, but also gives guests one final warning about the intense experience ahead. Anyone wishing to exit, which admittedly I've done on a few occasions just so I could walk through the queue on a day that I perhaps wasn't feeling ready to ride, can alert the next cast member, who will show you through a quick hallway that connects to the onload area. Walking to the other side of the alley, we then enter a parking garage called Lock and Roll. Here, an empty limo train rounds the corner from the unload area into the station and loads 24 guests at a time across 12 rows. As we board, we hear a classic rock DJ, Bill St. James, sharing how to board the vehicle, lock the shoulder restraints into place, and remain safely seated through the entire attraction. A few moments later, the parking garage light turns green and sends us around the corner to the launch sequence. As we make our way to the dark tunnel on the other side of the alley, we come to a stop at a red light as Bill St. James discusses the Aerosmith concerts and the large amount of traffic around the area, telling listeners to stay tuned to LA's classic rock station. Here, where the attraction starts to get a little thrilling, but also quite interesting from a storytelling perspective. Knowing that our journey would begin in the Hollywood Hills somewhere near Sunset Boulevard and conclude at the Aerosmith concert, which was written to take place at the Forum, which is located in Inglewood, just a few miles away from Los Angeles International Airport, the Imagineers designed a real route that the limo driver might take to avoid Los Angeles traffic on that journey, although not exactly a direct path, using 2D neon signage and landmarks to mark the adventure. 
The journey begins at the Launch Tunnel, which is designed to look like the Mount Hollywood Tunnel in Griffith Park. In fact, many of you might recognize this famous tunnel as it was featured in scenes from movies like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Back to the Future Part 2. Once the light turns green, the roller coaster, or should I say the super stretch limo, sends guests flying through the dark tunnel, launching from 0 to 57 miles per hour, or as it's often advertised, 60 miles per hour, in 2.8 seconds. This launch sequence is accomplished using LSM technology, which stands for Linear Synchronous Motors. First, a catch car locks itself into the train below the vehicle. In fact, if you're seated in the front row, you can see this catch car either waiting at the load area for your vehicle or returning from the other side of the launch sequence. The catch car locks into the vehicle and then rolls the train backwards by several inches into the locked position. Once the launch sequence begins, powerful electromagnetic motors send the catch car accelerating through the tunnel with the roller coaster attached. Once it reaches its top speed, the catch car unlocks from the vehicle and sends the limo train on its way. It's a popular launch technology used on many roller coasters around the world, and the force felt on Rock and Roller Coaster's launch is about the same you would experience taking off in a fighter jet. Heading back to the story of the attraction, after the launch sequence, we encounter a double inversion maneuver called a sea serpent roll, where we're flipped upside down twice and experience up to 5 Gs, which means the force we feel, specifically heading into the first inversion, can feel like five times the normal force of gravity, depending on where in the car you're sitting, and is considered the most forceful part of the attraction. Now we know why G-Force Records gets its name. Our next stop along the journey is the Hollywood sign. You'll have to go with the Imagineers here as the limo train literally drives through the first O in the Hollywood sign, but it makes the ride especially fun. We then pass a sign for Whiskey A Go Go, a historic nightclub along Sunset Boulevard in West Hollywood, and then on enter onto I-5 following signs to the Civic Center. Journeying past the Beverly Hills sign, we then enter a corkscrew, which is our third and final time being flipped upside down on the ride. We pass by some palm trees along the road and then some construction signage as we enter the 101. Moments later, we pass by the famous Randy's Donut sign, which is actually quite close to the forum, and follow VIP parking entrance signage to the final brake sequence tunnel, which takes us to the unload area for the attraction, designed to look like the VIP entrance to the forum. Upon disembarking from the limo train, we enter backstage and catch a glimpse of Aerosmith performing the end of the limo soundtrack we just heard, and getting to see the on-ride photo taken of us at the launch sequence. This leads us into the gift shop at the back of the building called Rock Around the Shop, and through the exit hallway down a ramp back out into the courtyard. As you exit through the automatic doors, don't forget to check out on the left-hand side the photo of Aerosmith in front of the giant guitar on the attraction's opening day, which was signed by each member of the band. We're going to chat about the music on the attraction in just a bit, but first, we should discuss the ride itself. While Disney's Imagineers commonly create the blueprint and rough outline for each attraction, the team often outsources the creation of roller coaster tracks to other specialist manufacturers. For example, the Imagineers hired Arrow Development to build the track for Matterhorn bobsleds, although the layout here was designed by Disney legend Bob Gurr, and Intamin to build the track for California Screamin', now called the Incredicoaster. For Rock and Roller Coaster, the Imagineers turned to Vacoma, 
a company that would later design the track for Expedition Everest and Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. Vukoma not only provided the track pieces, but also designed the layout for the roller coaster, creating a fairly common style of LSM launch coasters that the Imagineers then boxed into a show building and dressed up with props, lighting, and of course synchronized on-ride soundtracks. Since Vukoma created the track design, a fun fact about this roller coaster is that they also owned the rights to the track layout. As a result, Vukoma ended up building the exact same roller coaster layout for an attraction at Wallaby Holland in the Netherlands, which that park ended up calling Express. The attraction opened in 2000, just about a year after Rock and Roller Coaster opened, and the ride is essentially a clone of the Disney attraction. The main difference here, of course, is that the ride is almost entirely outdoors and features none of the thematic elements designed by Walt Disney Imagineering. If you're ever curious, though, about the track layout for Rock and Roller Coaster, just do a quick online search for this Wallaby Holland roller coaster, and you'll get a look at what the ride would be like if it were outdoors without any Imagineering. Another example of Okoma's design work includes the trains featured on the ride, as the underlying roller coaster trains, which can each seat 24 guests, are Vukoma's design. However, the Imagineers got to work on dressing up these vehicles to match the story. In particular, they reformatted the seats and exterior of the vehicles to look like a super-stretch limo designed after a 1962-era Cadillac. In addition, the Imagineers added speakers and subwoofers to each limo train. In fact, each individual seat on the ride features two mid-range speakers, two high-frequency tweeters, and one subwoofer. That's 120 speakers per train. In fact, there are over 900 speakers featured throughout the attraction. Talk about a surround sound rock and roll experience. The added weight from the speakers also meant that the physics for the roller coaster needed to be tweaked, specifically with regard to the launch sequence and the trim brakes along the ride path. Of course, the music for Rock and Roller Coaster is one of the unique features that makes the attraction so iconic. While the, while the Imagineers wanted the ride to focus on the classic rock genre, they weren't quite sure which band, or even combination of bands, would best fit the experience. Some sources claim that the Rolling Stones, Kiss, and U2 were involved during this process, but no official sources I could find have validated this information. In either case, one band that seemed perfect for the attraction was American rock band Aerosmith. Not only did this band have an incredible song list to match the thrilling nature of the ride, but also the group was already working with Disney on the 1998 Touchstone Pictures film Armageddon. With Steven Tyler's daughter, Liv Tyler, taking on one of the lead roles in the film, the band's songs were featured throughout the movie, and Aerosmith even created a song specifically for this movie called I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, one of the songs featured in the ride's cue music and a song that reached the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100 that same year after the movie debuted in theaters. When Disney approached Aerosmith about being the headline artist for their rock and roller coaster attraction, the band, and in particular Steven Tyler, loved the idea and agreed to do so with Disney's allotted budget. Amazingly, this deal was announced only a month before the attraction opened in June of 1999, as up until that point, Disney did not disclose and likely didn't have a final deal in place for which artist would be featured for the ride. With Aerosmith on board, the next step in the process was to decide which songs to feature on the attraction. We've already discussed the music played in the queue and the pre-show, but the music featured on the ride itself would arguably be the most important decision. 
With five different limo trains, the Imagineers decided to create five different soundtracks to make the ride more exciting and add a re-rideability factor for repeat visitors, with each medley beginning at the launch and ending at the unload area, which required about 75 seconds of track time. Two of the five soundtracks feature one main Aerosmith hit that's played throughout the duration of the ride. In particular, one limo train plays Sweet Emotion and is marked by the license plate Too Fast For You. The other plays Nine Lives and is marked by the license plate 1QK Limo, or One Quick Limo. Another two limo soundtracks each feature two Aerosmith hits. The first, which is marked by the license plate You Go Babe, plays Love in an Elevator and Walk This Way. The other, marked by the license plate H8TRFFC, hate traffic, plays Back in the Saddle and Dude Looks Like a Lady. The final limo soundtrack, which is marked by the license plate Bye Bye, actually plays three Aerosmith songs through the ride, beginning with Young Lust, then F-I-N-E, and finally Love in an Elevator, with a special tag at the end that concludes with the band singing Love in a Roller Coaster. All five soundtracks were specially recorded by Aerosmith for this attraction, creating medleys of their top hits perfectly designed for this attraction. In addition, Steven Tyler and Joe Perry added vocals to the roller coaster's launch sequence, most notably Steven Tyler. Joe Perry provided the vocals for the Sweet Emotion Talk Box launch sounds, in which he sings Rockin' Roller Coaster. Steven Tyler provided the vocals for just about every other launch sound, including such lines as, Are you ready for this? Here we go. We'd like to dedicate this to our friends out there in that Super Stretch Limo. And of course, the famous countdown sequence where Steven counts down from 5 to 1. Plus, no matter which limo soundtrack you experience, all feature Steven Tyler's iconic screech. When the ride first opens, the attractions also featured a narration from famous Los Angeles-based classic rock DJ Uncle Joe Benson. With each limo soundtrack, Joe provided a unique intro narration, with each explaining how Joe was broadcasting live from the Aerosmith concert and how traffic was jammed in all directions around Los Angeles. Riders would then wait in suspense as the roller coaster train in front of them cleared the appropriate point for their train to launch, at which point Steven Tyler would introduce one of the five limo soundtracks. While the countdown narration is featured in all five limo soundtracks today, in the original version of this roller coaster, it was only featured on one or two soundtracks. The others simply led into the launch with a fitting buildup from the Aerosmith song featured. For example, let's take a listen to how the Back in the Saddle limo soundtrack sounded on opening day.
Years later, during the 2007 refurbishment of the attraction, the Imagineers created a new intro sequence to be narrated by classic rock DJ Bill St. James, who has provided the voice for the attraction ever since. Much like Uncle Joe Benson, Bill St. James mentions in each limo soundtrack how he's broadcasting live from the Aerosmith concert and how traffic is jammed in all directions. In addition, to make the launch sequence slightly less intimidating, the Imagineers overlaid Steven Tyler's countdown sequence to all five limo soundtracks. Now, everybody has at least a five-second warning before the ride launches. In addition to the launch sequence playing through the speakers on the limo train, the Imagineers also created sound elements that played along the side of the launch platform next to the queue. To create a more realistic tire screeching sound when the limo takes off, speakers disguised as large boxes next to the train provide the source location for this sound effect. Since the limo trains take off at such a tremendous speed, the sound effect lasts about a second longer than the trains entering the tunnel, which means that the onboard soundtrack and guest screams fade out faster than the tire screech sounds, providing a kind of audio cue that lets guests in the queue know exactly how fast the ride will be launching. When Rock and Roller Coaster opened in 1999, the attraction was an immediate hit, bringing thrill seekers and Disney fans from around the world to the park. Not surprisingly, Disney decided that the roller coaster was popular enough to create a second version, this one at the Walt Disney Studios Park at Disneyland Paris. While the ride layout and soundtracks remain the same, the Imagineers changed the theme to immerse you in a kind of Aerosmith music video using what they refer to as soundtracker technology. Instead of neon lights depicting Los Angeles landmarks, the team also designed five distinct light shows to match the various soundtracks featured on the ride, and the Imagineers created a separate pre-show for this park, bringing back the band to record an updated version using minimal story-driven dialogue to accommodate a multilingual audience. Decades later, on July 20th, 2022, Rock and Roller Coaster Avec Aerosmith at the Walt Disney Studios Park reopened as Avengers Flight Force, completing a multi-year refurbishment of the backlot area to Avengers Campus. The new version of the attraction shows how this ride can easily be repurposed to tell other stories. And fans have predicted for decades now that the same might happen with Rock and Roller Coaster at Disney's Hollywood Studios. In fact, even when I was working at Walt Disney World in 2007, rumors were circulating even back then that the ride might be repurposed to feature another artist or theme. No matter what the Imagineers might have in store, I'm sure this attraction will remain a popular ride for decades to come, as the experience remains one of the most beloved thrill rides at Walt Disney World more than 20 years later. At this point, I'd love to take you with me for a ride on Rock and Roller Coaster starring Aerosmith, thanks to some scenic audio I recorded back in 2014. As always, listening with headphones or earbuds will provide you with the most realistic experience, but even listening on another audio device will help transport you back to this attraction. With that, let's head down Sunset Boulevard and enjoy the fastest trip you'll ever take through Los Angeles. Rock on! Travel alone, singing a song, side by side. Don't know what's coming tomorrow. Right this way, right? 
press down on it. And with that, we close out episode 146 of the Imagineer podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode about Rock and Roller Coaster starring Aerosmith. As I mentioned, I know we talked about it way back in the day in 2017, but as I've really developed this style of attraction episodes, I thought it was worth revisiting such a beloved attraction. And of course, I want to turn this conversation over to you and hear what you love most about Rock and Roller Coaster. Perhaps it's your favorite moment from the ride or even your favorite limo soundtrack. You can send me your answers and feedback as always in so many different ways. Of course, you can reach out on social media on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Imagineer Podcast, on Twitter at Imagineer News, and best place of all, our Facebook group, which is called the Imagination, also called the Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community. I call it the best place because that's where you get to connect with me and with other members of this listener community. So you get to see other responses to this question and chat about all things Disney with a larger community of Disney fans. If you don't already subscribe to the show, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button, no matter which podcast app you're listening to. It could be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartMedia, you know the list of podcast apps, but wherever you're listening, feel free to hit that subscribe or follow button. And if you have a moment to leave us a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, that does a lot to help this community out. It improves our ranking within each one of those platforms and also helps others know what they can expect they come across the podcast and are wondering whether or not they should subscribe or listen to an episode. If you want to take your love of Imagine Your Podcast to the next level, please do consider joining our Patreon group, which is over at patreon.com slash imagineyourpodcast. I've got a link for you in the show notes and over at imagineyourpodcast.com. That's a way you can unlock extra content in exchange for supporting the show. You can get access to things like bonus podcast episodes, streamable binaural audio you can listen to on the go. 
a private Facebook group just for members, access to my close friends list on Instagram, and lots of other bonus content you can enjoy. These terms and conditions are subject to change, so the easiest place to figure out what is currently available is by, again, heading to patreon.com slash podcast. And when you're ready to head back to Walt Disney World or Disneyland or Disney Cruise Line or any Disney destination, you'll want to look into our travel partner, Magical Park Vacations, which you can learn more about at MagicalParkVacations.com and on social media at Magical Park Vacations. They are a complimentary service and can help to plan and book your next Disney vacation. They provide such an incredible level of service there who I personally use to book my Disney vacations. And I can assure you that Kim and the team do an incredible job at providing you with the best experience possible in planning and booking your Disney vacation. And you'll also want to consider working with their concierge planning team over at WDW Park Planners. You can learn more about them at www.parkplanners.com and also on social media at WDW Park Planners. They provide an extra level of support. So if you don't just want someone to help you to plan out and book the experience, but really want more support in making the most of your Disney vacation. I mean, thinking about which days to visit the parks, what order to tackle attractions in, how to navigate the parks with Genie Plus and Lightning Lane, where might be the best places to eat. They work through all of those details. They work hand in hand with your family. It's like hiring a Disney expert or a Disney friend to help plan that Disney vacation for you. And they provide park support. So when you are actually on your vacation, if questions come up or issues arise, just reach out directly to your planner. You'll have their email and their number um, so that you can reach out with any questions and they can often help support to their best of their ability remotely. Some things can only be done in person, but uh, they'll do the best they can from a remote position to, uh, to help with anything that might come up. And I'll also plug their in-person tour company over at Mar- Magical Park Tours. You can learn more about them at MagicalParkTours.com and also on social media at Magical Park Tours. Last but not least, I want to encourage you, as I always do, to go after your hopes, dreams, goals, whatever they might be, to make the most of each and every day you get on this planet. And remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. safety, pull down on the shoulder restraint until it locks in place. Keep your head against the headrest and remain seated with your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside. Be sure to stow your belongings on the floor and watch your kids. Entonces, por su seguridad, tiren de la barra hasta que se cierre con un clic. Mantengan la cabeza contra el reposacabezas y permanezcan sentados con las manos, brazos, pies y piernas dentro de la limusina. Asegúrense de colocar sus efectos personales en el piso y de vigilar a sus niños. When you're at Walt Disney World Resort for the world's most magical celebration, every moment is amazing, the joy is never ending, and the memories last a lifetime. Because when you celebrate with us, nothing could be more magical. 
Contact Magical Park Vacations to book your Walt Disney World Resort vacation today. Call 585-662-3686 or visit MagicalParkVacations.com.